don't fall in love with your technology, fall in love with the problem you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Because if you just love the technology you're using, it can make it very difficult for you to pivot. And for freelancers, for example, that can be what approach you're taking to a particular problem. If you love that too much, it makes it very painful when you want to pivot. Welcome to the AI for Creative Entrepreneurs podcast. I'm Kira Hug, co-founder of the Copywriter Club. And on this show, our goal is to help you stay ahead of the curve. We'll show you how to use AI to maximize creativity, simplify your work and life, and reinvent your career so AI works for you, not against you. Join us as we explore the intersection of AI, creativity, and career. Even though we're bombarded with hundreds of new generative AI tools every single day, my inbox is still a hot mess. It probably always will be. Not to mention, I'm overwhelmed with Slack notifications. I'm in about like 10 different Slack groups. So I wondered, you know, can't an AI company just solve this problem and reduce all the noise or at least some of the noise in our online businesses? Well, today's guest, Granya McKnight, a data scientist who's helping creatives like us use tools like Spoke AI to decrease clutter and overwhelm online. She's also a member of Women in AI and is focused on increasing diversity of representation in AI, which I am obviously all about. We also talk about how all of us can have a voice and make an impact at a societal level. But before we get to the interview, this podcast is sponsored by our AI course for copywriters and creatives. We've had over 200 copywriters go through this course at this point, and dozens of them have been certified as prompt engineers, which is a great little badge you get if you get certified. It's also respectable when you're talking to prospects and clients and wanting to help them with AI to have some type of certification. You know, we always love that credibility booster. And it has everything you really need to use AI in your creative processes, in your research processes, how to understand what's possible, what's not possible, the best prompts to use. And we keep it up to date quarterly so that it's still relevant um, so that the tools are relevant and the demos you'll see kind of with over-the-shoulder videos showing you how to use the tools. It's all useful and relevant for you, even though the space is rapidly changing. And so it's hard to avoid AI these days if you're a writer or creative. And the best way is just to figure out how you can use it, how you can make it work for you. And you can get started at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI4C. All right, let's jump into the episode with Grania. Okay, so I, I'm just curious to hear how you ended up getting into AI in the first place. So this may belie my age a little bit, but back when I exited university, there wasn't really a field called AI or data science that you could easily or directly work in. So my background was in mathematics and statistics, and my first job was more as a statistician. Um, and in that role, I learned that I really enjoyed the software engineering side of, of that work as well. And really, the combination of those two is the early stages of the data science industry. 
Um, and so my first job officially as a data scientist was with N26, which is a neobank based here in Berlin. Six years ago now, I joined them as a data scientist, having previously worked as a statistician and worked there for two years where I learned a lot and realized I loved working in that area and continued up until today. Okay, and then let's talk about what you're doing today, what you're doing in your specific role and what the company is doing. About a year and nine months ago, I joined some of my previous colleagues at Spoke.ai. So they had founded this small startup that I am now the founding data science lead at, which basically means coordinating all the work related to AI. And what Spoke does is it's a unified inbox across different tools that people can use in their workspace. For example, G Suite, Slack, or other messaging platforms. And where the AI part comes in is helping in that unified inbox, everybody to have the context they need by using AI to summarize across different notifications and also to prioritize which notifications you should tackle first, which notifications you need to urgently take action on. So yeah, that's what we do. Okay. Yeah. I think I already signed up for the demo, so I, I can see the benefit to a small team. Can you speak to some of the benefits, maybe for smaller business owners, even maybe a solopreneur or someone with a team of you know three to five people, how they could use this tool? Yeah. I think obviously a lot of the problems of noise come with scale. So freelancers and smaller entrepreneurs are lucky in that in some sense, they have less noise, but I think there can be a lot of noise from external sources, even when you have a small team. So thankfully, when I worked in larger organizations, I was very much siloed off from the external world and I got very little noise, for example, in my Gmail, but I got quite a lot of noise internally in Slack or, or Mattermost, so messages from other teams. I think people on smaller teams often have that noise coming in in Gmail or other external platforms. And we can still help, hopefully, with that noise by telling you this is important. Or, for example, if you have a very long email chain that has gone on and on and you get a new notification in that email thread and you're like, what the hell is this about? We can provide a summary of the previous messages in the thread that will tell you, hey, this is the most important points that you need to remember before you reply to this email. Okay. And can you give an example or maybe an example from your own inbox of how, how that might work or how that might look? Uh, yes. So as an example, within Slack, we have an internal data channel where various people send messages. Often it's requests to us, the data team, asking for something. And other times it can be just feedback about our product. And of course, I can take time to read through each message, and I often do. But when I log in in the morning, I just want to see what's the overall things happening within this channel. So my summary will tell me, oh, here, you received some positive feedback from Jack and Max saying X, Y, Z. You received a question on this topic. Okay, what do you need to take action on? You need to take action on this question. And then maybe the feedback is something you can address at a later point. Does that help? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there could be a couple different uses for Slack, definitely with a, a team, like what you're talking about with, with my small team of, you know, seven people, I could see where 
that summary ability will be really helpful. And then having the to-do action items and connecting that to a project management system could be really helpful. Um, I'm wondering too, in, in communities, how you've seen that used, if you have seen it used where it's maybe like a paid membership, which we have a couple of them in Slack, and those conversations are just so busy and there's just so many people, which is great that there's so many people are engaged and it's hard to keep track of. Do you see a use for your tool in that type of use? A hundred percent. So what I failed to mention is in addition to this web application, which is a unified inbox, we have a standalone Slack app, which you can plug into different Slack communities. I could see this being used in different messaging platforms, but right now it's just a Slack application. And you can go to any, like, for example, very long thread within Slack, and you can trigger an action to summarize that thread. And rather than having to read through all the content, you can see, okay, these are the main points. And in a similar way for a channel within Slack, you can generate a summary of the main topics in a channel. So that's sort of user requested flow, but you can also use this app to generate digests for you every day. So to let you know what's happening in particular channels. And I don't know about you, but I have, I don't know, uh, maybe 10 different Slack communities that I'm a member of. And it's impossible to read all the channels all the time. Uh, So I find that feature useful just to quickly see, okay, this is the general things being discussed there. These are the themes and topics. And then it allows me to maybe spot, oh, here they're talking about something very relevant to me. I'm going to pop into that channel and and take a closer look. So can you pull it from, maybe this is what you're saying, but you can pull it from multiple Slack channels with different groups and get one summary or you get different summaries for each Slack community? Yeah, it's a great question. For now, it's a different summary for each Slack community that you get in a sort of direct message to you within that community. I think definitely down the line, we would like to have that all pooled together because yeah, that's the whole point is that people find it very time consuming or difficult to switch between different contexts and switch between different communities. So that's where we want to bring it to. But yeah, right now it's in separate communities. Yeah, I love that because I am looking at my um, my browser right now and I have at least eight different Slack tabs open. Um, maybe a couple of them are the same one. I just have it open in multiple places. But it is, I think, as we continue to network and build communities online, it's just like we're going to end up with 20 or more that we want to be a part of. And it's not like we don't want to be there, but it's just so hard to manage that. Uh, to go back to email, because I think that could be really relevant to copywriters and different freelancers. Can you talk through how to use the tool in email and what that looks like specifically for email management? Because I could see where you could use it with client projects to stay up to date with different colleagues and prospects. Yes. So right now we are currently using, we're in closed beta with our tool mostly for Slack and ticketing system integration. So we haven't yet rolled out this email integration, but we have scoped it. And the way it would work is you basically have a web application that you have open in your browser, and it also comes with an extension um, that can kind of follow you around to your different applications. And your G, like your emails would be pulled into this web application together with your notifications from Slack. And you could imagine in there all your Slack community messages pulled in. 
And then within that web application, you can create views. So this could be something similar to how people use labels in Gmail, for example, but you can build your own rules to pull together, okay, Slack messages about this project together with emails with the client, um, for example, and you could have one view for that. So that is one nice way of being able to use it. And you can also add to-dos from like new incoming Gmail messages, for example. Um, and then all of this information would be presented with some summaries that allows you to kind of constantly see what is the context for this project. So if you have this view, which has all emails associated with this project um, and Slack messages, there would be a summary there sort of informing you, this is what this project is about. Um, and then on top of that, we have uh, this idea of smart prioritization. So as you can imagine, if you pull in all your emails and all your notifications, there can be a lot in your inbox. Um, and we have basically a toggle which allows you to just go into this focused view where you only see high priority messages or notifications. Um, so with Gmail, you know, this could again work similar to how the important tag works in Gmail, but it's a bit more transparent in that we indicate to you why we consider this is a high priority message. And you can very easily like help us learn by altering the priority of a given email. So you can, if we label it as low priority and you say, hey, no, this is high priority, you can change the label and then help us learn uh, for the future. And where do you see if, uh what is the vision for Spoke, you know, where you can go ultimately with, with all of this um, prioritization of, and just cutting through all the noise? As I mentioned, we're in closed beta, so we're learning all the time from user feedback, like we're fine tuning our vision. But to me, it's clear, like the problem, what we're trying to solve is, and that problem is to me, the fact that all of us, whether we work as freelancers or within large organizations, have so many incoming notifications every day. And we don't seem to have good systems or ways in the moment of filtering that noise without experiencing a huge amount of FOMO. At least in my case, I really feel like I need to see the content of some channels just for my own peace of mind, even if it's not highly relevant for me. So we want to solve that problem. And also a secondary part of that problem is that people manage their work with notifications, right? So if you're a freelancer and you're um, communicating with a client through email, an email is effectively telling you what your work is going to be. And I think a lot of people take the content of an email and reform it into some to-do item that they then add to some to-do list, whether it's, you know, using an existing like to-doist type application or it's scrawled on a piece of paper or somewhere. And to me, there seems to be a problem in that there has to be this manual step between getting the email and translating it into a to-do item. So we want to make that much more automatic and that's where we wanna go. Okay, and just to go back to 
the founding of the company, which isn't too long ago, right? You said a year and a half or a couple of years ago? Uh, yeah, about two years ago, almost two years ago. Okay, I'm just curious to hear about the path and the pivot along the way or multiple pivots along the way, what that looked like. And because I'd love to get into just how to pivot since so many copywriters and business owners are pivoting right now and figuring out, okay, AI has changed a lot of things in the space. So what am I going to do next? But what is the story of, of your startup? Yeah, um, I think the ultimate story. So one of the founders, Jack, I worked with together at N26, and he worked there as a product manager on a team that I was a data scientist on. And we both experienced at that company and at other places, as did the two other co-founders, Max and Carl, the issue of communication, basically. So being swamped by communication, having to spend so much time extracting information from other people and then passing it on to other people, it felt very ineffective and frustrating. My role prior to joining Spoke was at Adyen, which is a payments processor based in Amsterdam. And there I was a lead and I spent so much of my day asking people on my team what the status of projects were and then communicating that to somebody else. And it just felt like, oh, I could be doing better things with my time. So we all came with this sense that this is a problem, communication in the workplace. And Jack, Max, and Carl founded the company on the basis of that very broad problem. And the first idea was more towards communicating status of projects to other team members. And so we built an MVP that was based around that, kind of collecting updates from team members and then summarizing them. At all times, we were testing with users and also, of course, collecting a lot of quantitative feedback. So seeing how people were using it, whether users remained active, what our retention was like. And what we saw with that first iteration is that people were using it and they were fairly loyal about using it. But there wasn't that excitement of, oh, I need to go and tell everyone in my network about this cool tool you know, that magic feeling that is supposed to sort of be product market fit wasn't there. And I think at that point, that triggered us as a team to all go back to what are the problem we're trying to solve and are there other angles we could take? And that brought us towards our current direction. And I think we had a period of like four weeks, maybe, where we really went through some discovery sprints looked at a few different ideas in this problem space and always kept in mind, okay, what are the skills we have developed? How can we approach this problem space with this toolkit and come up with a good product? What advice would you give to someone who isn't necessarily a startup, but is a freelancer and needs to pivot because they aren't feeling that magic, that product market fit magic. And they know that because they're not booking clients they're not getting paid, um, so they know that they need to pivot. But how can they approach that based on your experience? That can be emotionally hard to pivot. Yeah. For me as an individual, like we had built a lot of things on the data science or AI side that we had to say goodbye to. And I think the first piece of advice I would give is don't 
fall in love with your technology, fall in love with the problem you're trying to solve. Mm, yeah. Because if you just love the technology you're using, it can make it very difficult for you to pivot. And for freelancers, for example, that can be what approach you're taking to a particular problem. If you love that too much, it makes it very painful when you want to pivot. And I think part of that is realizing that every like pivot, you can bring with you a lot of the skills that you had in your previous iteration as a freelancer or whatever, and a lot of the learnings, right? Like you learn a lot. So it's not a completely lost cause when you pivot. And then as to how actually to pivot, I think what we did as a team, and I, I think also an individual can do this, is sit down and really think about, okay, what is the ultimate problem I want to solve? What tools do I have at my disposal to help to do that? And then that's a very broad starting point. And then we did a lot of creative exercises where we sort of brainstormed both crazy ideas and not so crazy ideas of how we might be able to help solve that problem. And that warmed up our imagination a little bit. And then we validated any sort of feasible idea we found with user testing and user research. And I think an individual can do the same by reaching out to clients or to people that they would be hoping to offer their services to and just scheduling 20, 30 minutes, asking them, does this seem like a good direction for me, getting concrete feedback from other people? Yeah, no, that's great advice. How do you know when you've landed it? For you all, are your user tests, are you feeling that magic now and you're starting to see the language has changed when you're conducting user tests? Yeah, I think it feels, I mean, for me, one little way I can tell is I find it easier to explain what we're doing than I did with our previous yeah. iteration, which to me is a sign that it's more fluid and it's like easier for people to understand it's a problem. So that's just one personal way I have. I think we are getting yeah, some great feedback already from our testing, but it's very much an iterative process, right? So like every week we are getting user feedback, again, both qualitative and quantitative, and shifting closer to where we want to be. If you're a freelancer and you start in a new direction, you probably most likely won't immediately hit the correctest direction, but you might be getting there closer. And with feedback from clients and other people, you can get closer and closer to that right direction. And you mentioned, a, I think you said design sprint. What does that look like for your team? And is that something that you could see you know, freelancers conducting in their own businesses? Yeah, so the experts on this are definitely the product designers on our team. But from my perspective, the idea of a design sprint is you come up at the beginning with some user flow, let's say. So what someone does, and then you identify current opportunities. And these opportunities, you can also think of user problems. So let's say with ChatGPT for now, there is an opportunity because a lot of people are currently copying, pasting output from ChatGPT and putting it into other tools. And you could map out that user flow and say, there is an opportunity here to make that process more frictionless by having an integration so that your user doesn't have to manually copy paste and just 
auto goes in. And this is something, for example, Google's uh, new chatbot product has better features for. Um, and then you could, as a team, and the design sprint, you mock up designs of how this solution might look like. And we did this with input from like the data team, from the product team, and from the engineering team. And then we discussed the pros and cons of different designs. And then the design team took away those insights and sort of built it into a prototype, combining all different elements. And then they went out with that prototype as part of this design sprint to different users, showed them it, asked them questions and got feedback from them and basically tried to validate the hypothesis that this is actually a problem for people and that the solution that we've mocked up in this prototype is a solid way to approach this problem. And we did this in one week sprint and there's more formal structure around how you express your hypotheses, for example, because you have to validate not just that this is useful but that it's feasible that it has like a business potential all of these different hypotheses and there's a whole language around that that I am not fluent in but I'm sure you can find plenty of resources online yeah it seems like a great concept that any small business owner could use when they're pivoting just to start to test and experiment without feeling like okay I'm going to go all in on this idea and just hope that it works because probably it won't and what are other opportunities you see in your position at a startup for creatives and copywriters, content writers, um, maybe even where your startup has struggled and you're like, ah, oh, we really needed this type of creative mind to come and join the team to help us solve this problem? Yeah, I mean, one very niche area, but I, I definitely see growing is basically what is referred to prompt engineering, right? So understanding how to work with generative models. And right now, a lot of the people who are working with generative models are either like software engineers or data scientists. There's nothing about training as a data scientist or a software engineer that helps when it comes to prompt engineering, in my experience. Like it's a completely new field. And I think that can be quite a creative thing, prompt engineering. Yeah. It's sort of like a creative conversation that you're having with AI. Um, so that's one area. We do a lot of prompt engineering and trying out different prompts. And we try to get the whole team involved as much as possible because, of course, like the more diverse the input we get, the more creative we can be. And that has led to better prompt engineering. So I think that's certainly one area. And I think another is in AI product design. So now people are more and more being served in one way or another output from AI and like textual output from AI. And there's lots of product design questions that come into that, like how much control should a user have on how that content looks? Um, how can we build in feedback mechanisms so users can say, I would rather my content to be different in X, Y, Z ways. A lot of things like that, that haven't, a lot of product designers don't have experience with because Generative AI hasn't really been part of products for a very long time. And more specifically than for like copywriters and content creators, I think the design of 
tone of voice, for example, for generative AI outputs is a super interesting area. So at N26, I worked actually on a chatbot, a customer service chatbot. And this was years ago. So it was pre-GPT, et cetera. And one of the conversations we had at the time is like, what personality should this chatbot have? Mm. I wanted to have quite a funny personality, but then thankfully more sensible people were kind of like, well, it's a banking application. So it needs to be (laughs) quite like serious and it needs to, you know, make sure it seems trustworthy and not sort of lighthearted to customers. And I think that sort of designing of personalities or tone of voice is somewhere where people who have experienced copywriting or content creating can really contribute. Okay, so I want to make sure we have time to talk about women in AI because I met you in that Slack community. And um, I would love to hear your perspective on just the role that women and non-binary people play in the larger AI conversation and space? I have a favorite analogy I use to talk about this. Um, so I, it's perhaps a little overused by me at this point, but I think it demonstrates it well, which is that those of us who are fortunate enough to live in democracies really uh, have come to understand that to build a good nation state, to build a good infrastructure in our countries, to build a good social system and culture, we need to have representative government. So we understand that it's so important that different groups are represented in government. I think almost anyone you would ask wouldn't challenge you on that. Uh, Because they understand, okay, government shapes the world around us. And it's important that the world around us reflects the interests of of every group we have within our society. Um, Just as government really has a large impact on our day-to-day life, so does technology and more and more so does AI. And it's really building the like software architecture of our experience and A large part of that experience is being designed by teams that are not representative of everybody who's using that technology. One really nice application I came across was Philips Hue, which um, are these smart lighting systems. They have a mobile app and they actually have a left-handed mode on their mobile app which uh, being a lefty, I really like. It makes it easier because I use it every day to switch on and off my lights. And it just makes it slightly easier for me. And that is something I imagine that some left-handed engineer came up with as an idea because they're like, ah, this is so frustrating, you know, stretching my fingers. or, um, And I think those kind of insights can only happen if you have teams building products that that are from diverse backgrounds. And um, in my personal experience working data science, when the field was much younger, because there weren't specialized master's programs as often, people came from biostatistics, they came from maths like I did, also from computer science, but kind of a diverse range of fields. And that meant that the data science teams I worked on were relatively diverse, I would say. And I think over time, it's actually become slightly less diverse in my experience 
because there are these narrow tracks now toward data science. And I, I, like, I think that's a loss for the industry, right? Because having people, not just diversity on gender, which is of course important, but on background and on life experience is really important in designing AI products. So I hope, I hope it goes in the diverse direction going forward. Yeah, well, and, and your company um, at Spoke AI is, that's a big part of the mission and the brand and the messaging, which is why I'm now a super fan. What else can we do, though, if we're paying attention to the space and we're not necessarily, I mean, I'm not a data scientist, but I want to play a role, at least contribute, because I believe in a similar um, mission as you. It's like we need more diversity in this space. What what are some of the options? What do you see as the opportunities for other people who aren't necessarily skilled in that area? In building products responsibly or building government, for example, it's really important that people who aren't just specialists in how the government works, for example, get to have a say in like whether a road gets built right beside their house or not. You know, people understand that, okay, experts can bring a lot of knowledge, but at the end of the day, like people on the ground also have to have input and have to be able to participate in the conversation about those infrastructure decisions. And to me, it should be the same about AI and technology. I think it's a little bit, hopefully, something that companies will do. So really build open conversations with people, not just who are specialists within the field, but wider communities of people who will be actually interacting with these products. But it's also something, you know, until companies start doing that better or governments start doing that better, I think it's something that individuals can do is just facilitate and just exactly like you're doing now, you know, facilitate conversations about AI, proactively participate in the conversation so that like your and everybody's voices gets heard and then used for the design of these products. So I think that is kind of a broad recommendation, but it's one I have. Um, I also think it's like, in general, we briefly touch on these content creators or copywriters and where they might have a role in sort of AI product design. But I think there are so many different facets of AI product design that people with diverse skills can contribute to. Like, so, one thing, for example, that has really helped us is having someone who is a linguist on our team. And I am in theory a native English speaker, but she definitely, though she's from the Ukraine, has better English than me. And that has really helped a lot because we're working with natural language with a lot of like designing and testing our products. So I think being you know, looking for opportunities where you can help, where you can get involved, not just in the conversation, but in the building and going for it because it's all a bit of a model now and people are excited and now's the time to kind of jump in and get yourself involved, I think. Yeah, not to be dark and gloomy here, but what do you see as the um, potential downside or downfall if we don't get involved and have this type of diversity of thought and background, what do you see potentially happening just to scare all of us a little bit? Yeah, 
I, I think the most realistic bad thing that can happen is that if we don't collaborate together on determining what is responsible AI and like what that looks like, that we could end up with some irresponsible AI applications out there. And I think if they were to result in some large major negative consequence, precisely because people have been shut out of the conversation, et cetera, that would immediately lead to a huge loss of public trust in AI products. And I think that would really stilt growth in that area and and maybe lead us to miss out on some of the benefits that AI products can bring, you know? So I, I could think of self-driving cars as an example, People are being very, very careful about them, which they should be, of course. And they have very exacting standards for them. And I think that makes sense because if they weren't careful enough about them and there were several tragic accidents with self-driving cars, that might mean that the whole public just turns off the ideas of self-driving cars. And then we lose a potential very like huge helper in our fight against climate change. And, you know, I think if people are welcomed into the conversation about what responsible AI looks like from the very beginning, then if there are negative consequences, there's more transparency, there's more understanding there, and people can actually learn to differentiate between this is a bad application of AI versus this is bad AI. Yeah. And I- I think it's probably more of my last question. I'm wondering if there are conversations or anything that's happening in the larger AI space that might not get attention in the headlines, might not make it onto podcasts. People aren't talking about it, but you feel like it's worth all of us paying attention to right now. Yeah, I think generative AI is, is definitely the buzzword of, of the day, both for images, videos, text, etc. Um, but It definitely is discussed about, but I think it could be highlighted more. There are some applications of of large AI that have happened over the past few years or developments that are very exciting in the medical domain and also in domains for like fighting climate change, etc., that are less user-facing. So one concrete example is the AlphaFold 2 model, which helps, okay, I'm going to butcher this, because I don't understand it, but something about protein unfolding that is really has potential massive benefits for a lot of biomedical applications. And that's really cool, but it's not something that you can go and play with on a website. Uh, So maybe it gets talked about a little less, but there are a bunch of applications like that that I think, yeah, could get more spotlight on them. And where do you go to find out about the latest news and even just applications like this? What are your resources? Yeah, so we talked earlier about, yeah, cutting out the noise, which is a little bit what Spoke wants to do. And I am having personally a problem right now where I've signed up to so many newsletters and so many um, podcasts that I'm absolutely overwhelmed with all the news from this area. But I do think there are a few that are excellent. So one is the Neuron uh, newsletter, which is an email newsletter you can sign up to. And it is presented in a quite like light, fun way. Uh, and additionally, I love listening to podcasts. 
including this one. And I would like to uh, recommend Hard Fork, which is a podcast from the New York Times. And I mean, it's a little bit, they're also hyped about generative AI in a few different areas, but they do often mention some of the different applications that exist. Um, and it's a very fun conversation, usually about technology trends, not just in AI, but of course, a lot of the focus the past few months has been on AI. Yeah, they're really, they're entertaining guys. Very <laughs> enthusiastic. Um, okay, I really appreciate those resources. I'm going to check out Neuron. So if anyone listening wants to get in touch with you or learn more about Spoke, where should they go? What should they do? Uh, for Spoke, you can navigate to our website, spoke.ai. And there you can sign up for a free Slack app, or you can also sign up to our waitlist for our Unified Inbox web application. And you can also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. My name is not that common, so hopefully you should be able to find me. Uh, and you'll see there also the page for Spoke.ai, where you can see the team who are pretty friendly, very friendly, and happy to answer questions. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time and talking through what you do at Spoke and just really making the connection between what you're doing and how creative entrepreneurs can use that information in their own businesses as they're figuring out what to do next, how to navigate through AI. So thank you for, for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, we want to thank Grania McKnight for joining us on the podcast to talk about how we can use AI to streamline our email and all those notifications online. You can connect with her on LinkedIn and learn more about Spoke at Spoke.ai. And once again, if you want to dive in and get certified as a prompt engineer and just understand how you can make AI work for your business and for your creativity and help you as a copywriter or creative, you can go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI for C. That is the end of this episode of AI for Creative Entrepreneurs, a Copywriter Club podcast produced by Brandon Burton. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can leave a review on your podcast app, or if you're catching this on YouTube, you could like the video, you could subscribe to the channel, or leave a comment below to let us know your favorite takeaway. Thanks for listening. See you next week.